thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Defense tactics consists of so much more than reaction time and training. Take a look into the mind of guest Tony Blauer to find out just how big a factor fear plays in our everyday life. This fascinating conversation with the founder of Blauer Tactical Systems truly enlightens the crew with amazing anecdotes and mental toughness diagnostics. The more you know about your own perceptions and biases, the easier you can predict your susceptibility to the unknown. Furthermore, knowing your own fear and facing it head-on will expose your weaknesses, allowing you to train to address them. The conversation inevitably turns towards the recent election. Recorded just days after the results, the crew and Blauer sit back and pontificate on the hows and whys of the interesting turn of events. Tony discusses how we can be hyper-aware of our own fear with regard to politics and media, and hopefully conquer it. Equipping yourself with a winning mindset and the ability to manage fear will allow you to exceed your own expectations. This is just one of the takeaways from this week's surprisingly philosophical and not so surprisingly deadly guest, Tony Blauer. This is episode 183. Power Athlete Nation, what is what's up? <laughs> is that still cool? That's fucking. Let's play. All right. Well, seven years, haven't you? Yeah, Uh, dude. dude, Every two days, you got to bring it up. Let me tell you, Luke beats a dead horse. That is what I do. That is my specialty. This is Luke. I'm here with John. Texas in Texas feels great. You are you are listening to Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Let's just jump right into it. Listen, people, we've got Tony Blower on today. Uh, He's the man behind Blower Tactical Systems. Hopefully, listen, there's just been a lot of things going on. Well, Hang on, John. Let, okay. me, let me go. There's been a lot of things going on here with the election, politics, and we're going to do our best to stay out of that trench because odds are it's going to be two weeks behind before this airs. Well, this is really our post-election podcast. So sure. I think we should hyper-jump this one up to but, maybe this afternoon. We'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. But here's the cool thing about it is like this – as we were talking before the show, Tony is like, you know, this, for, for a lot of people, this whole process has incited like fear and people don't know how to respond to that. And I think we're going to get, kind of have a deep dive into that today. And even more interesting is uh, Tony's from America Junior, Canada. You mean Little America? <laughs> Where everybody's trying, allegedly thinks it's as easy as fucking taking a step across the border and becoming a citizen. You know, Tony, I think can even speak to the process of becoming a citizen in the States relative to probably becoming a citizen in Canada and vice versa. I mean, that's what's crazy about this because people I don't think have understand the visa process and the citizenship process as well. But we're going to try and stay out of that, stick to fear, but fucking who knows? This is going to be yeah. a post-election talk. So no, strap I mean, yourself in, people. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, you know, I was stoked to actually have Tony on because probably nobody on the earth knows more about fear and has really coached and worked in that environment more than Tony. So to actually get in there and start looking at, you know, the psyche and really what drove the American voter in, you know, the direction and really what we're seeing today where, you know, people are taking to the streets and triggering and having these panic attacks and people are, you know, I believe just being overly dramatic just to be dramatic so that they can bring attention. Um, You know, and then our other favorite is, uh, you know, Luke tried to pull that, uh, you know, our work environment is a stressful environment he's going through post-election stress syndrome and he wanted to take the day off at which point i ixnated no i'm telling you good morning america said it's real they said that the treatment is to go see go to a movie a matinee and have some popcorn and reese's no let's do a podcast and work on on let's do it (laughs) but uh, you know i mean it's uh the the one that blew me away was we were watching cnn uh, last night at the airport coming back from salt lake city and uh, the the guy on cnn van was you know uh, uh you know literally practically, you know, on the verge of tears talking about, you know, what was he going to tell his children? How could he go home and tell his daughter and went through this whole deal? And I'm thinking to myself, I got up with my kids today. You know what we did? We uh, had breakfast and we colored and then we talked and you're going to love this. At their school, they have something called uh, their peace tents. So when they, they need time to like relax or be peaceful, they have like a little tent that they can go in and play in. And so my daughters were telling me about their peace corners and peace tents I asked them, I'm like, do you go there very often? And they're like, no, just the boy that gets in trouble all the time has to go to the peace tent. I'm thinking to myself, this is the world we live in that five-year-olds have to go to school with, like, peace corners and peace tents. Well, before we get into, like, the social strategies and shit that's going to be really interesting, that shakes out here. Tony, what is up? Thanks. I'm glad we finally connected. How are you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm on a uh, 17-hour 
time change. I just got back from uh, teaching in the Orient. Uh, I was there for almost two weeks, so totally got into their time zone, got back a couple of days ago. So uh, it's night. I'm going to have dinner soon and go to bed, probably in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> well, Tony, hey, yeah. man, if people don't are listening and don't know who you are, give them the intro, man. What's What are you about? And uh, what, what do they need to know about you before we get started? Um, phew, wow. Uh, so uh, all... I don't even know where to start on that. I, I would, I would say John, you know, John kind of hit some stuff uh, that, you know, my focus has been for most of my life uh, trying to understand fear as a kid. I felt like I had more fear than, uh, uh, than anybody should as an athlete. Um, I was afraid uh, of, of winning. I was afraid to let down my parents. I was afraid of, and I just, but it, you know, growing up in the sixties, it wasn't anything you talked about. And uh, I remember, uh, and I talk about this at, at, at my seminars, I was a very competitive skier. And so, you know, from coming from Canada, you're either a hockey player or a skier. And my family was into skiing. And, you know, by the time I was 13, people thought I was going to um, uh, kind of rip, maybe represent Canada, the Olympics. And I remember being at this, this race, I was like 14, 15 years old, top of the hill above the ski line, freezing. I'd already pissed like five times. I wanted to projectile vomit. You know, I was so nervous. I'm coming up in, in a couple of minutes. Uh, my coach is rubbing my knees and reminding me about what to watch out, which gates, which ice and you know, over here. And, and, and uh, he looks at me, he goes, how do you feel kid? And I looked in his eyes, like I was sweating and it was freezing up there, butterflies in my stomach. And I looked in his eyes and I went, I'm great coach. Right. And I, you know, I took off, you know, down the hill about three gates from the bottom. I caught a tip going too hard, wiped out so hard that I actually fell through the finish line uh, on a giant slalom race. And, and someone comes up to me a little while later and says, uh, you know, too bad you lost or too bad you wiped out there because, uh, you know, you were, um, um, uh, you were, uh, one second ahead of the guy that ultimately won the race where they were timing stuff and one second in giant slump ski race, like a mile in a car race. And I tell this story, I tell this story, uh, the, um, um, uh, because when I'm talking about fear and mindset and psychology to people, I go, what if my coach had said to me, hang on a second, man. Uh, um, I said, um, what, you know, what if my coach had pulled me aside 50 minutes earlier and said, hey, how do you feel, kid? And I looked in his eyes and I lied to him, right? And I said, great, coach. I said, what if he pulled me aside, put his arm around me and said, hey, I've been coaching for three, four years. And uh, have you noticed that you've never won a race? You're great in practice, but you've never won a race. What's going on? I probably would have looked at him maybe started crying and said, if I'm so good, why am I so scared? Now, as a kid back then, and like, you know, like a lot of, a lot, there was no performance psychology. There were no, you know, even, even most of the stuff today, I think is lame. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you guys can appreciate this. I'm going to write a book one day. I got the working title right now. It's called cheering is not coaching. But, you know, you know, most coaches don't know how to get in their athlete's head. They're fucking it's like, just go, come on, you can do it. And you know, the guys are dying, like going, no, I can't coach. You come in here. Can we tag team? Like it's, you know, cheering is in coaching. And most people don't understand uh, the psychology of fear. We talk about the biology of fear and the physiology of fear all the time, fight or flight and all that shit. And I go, none of that matters. All that matters is how you self-coach, what you're actually saying to yourself. So that was my, believe it or not, that whole story kind of like uh, uh, it, um, speaks to my path as a seven-year-old leading up to me developing uh, probably the, the world's only behaviorally based self-defense system where literally, uh, you know, I look at stuff and I go, you know, people think they need to get a black belt or study a martial art to learn how to defend themselves. And they, they misconstrue uh, what I consider the, the, the categories that martial arts, combat sports and reality-based self-defense is not the same as studying and understanding violent encounters. So we put together uh, a program called Be Your Bodyguard, uh, and it's all based on this startle flinch research that I started doing back, back in the late 80s. And so, you know, we, our, our main client is law enforcement, military. We've been training them for decades now, and we do a lot of stuff. You know, we, we developed a program for, or, you know, uh, for, for, for CrossFit athletes. We've done stuff for MMA. We've done stuff for law enforcement, military, and, and we've touched every single kind of community that actually has to put their hands on either an opponent or a bad guy. But the central theme to every course is 
understanding the psychology and the physiology of fear, how your body moves under high stress, and uh, and then what you got to do, what what you got to do with that. But uh, um, so that's kind of that's kind of it in a nutshell. That's what I've been doing for thirty six years. I had the, the 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 dream when I was like a teenager. My mom said. What are you going to do, kid, when you're older? Like, you know, you want to be a lawyer, you want to be a doctor, that cliche 1970s talk. And I looked at her, and I think I was stretching looking at Bruce Lee magazine. I said, oh, oh, oh Mom, I'm going to be a martial artist like, like Bruce Lee. I'm going to have my own fighting system. And she pat me on the head and said, okay, dear, we'll talk about this when you're older. You know, <laughs> uh, but uh, true story. And, and, you know, so here we are, like, uh, uh, you know, 40, literally over 40 years later, and that's, that's what I do. I literally spend every day trying to figure out how to make good humans safer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting because we were just with some guys, uh, kind of special forces guys yesterday and they're, you know, their level of, uh, combat readiness is certainly different required level. It's certainly different than a guy like me who's never going to be over there, but I certainly could fucking walking down the street, back alley, taking a shortcut, you know, six beers in and some guy wants to jump me, you know, I got to be able to respond to that. Right. And it's just like, these are real threats. And I think people take it for granted because we're in a fuck, we're in a safe place, man. Like yeah. most of us, I'm, I'm not going to say globally. I'm not going to say like everyone in the States is like, there are bad parts of town, but I think you just take for granted that there are bad people ready to do bad, bad things, even in the fucking sanctity. Room. Hey John, can I jump in real quick? I just yeah. I just want to say something here about that. Listen, you know, we have a maximum using you know, like a slogan. We say in your fight, your point, right? And it's not who's right, it's who's left in a fight. So it's not about, you know, it's like things to, provocative things to think about. I would argue uh, that you're in, um, uh, uh, like when people say, oh, those guys, they got to go downrange, they got to do that. You know, when is the last time, you know, we talk about like, like a SWAT team was, uh, was, was beaten up or mugged, right? Um, and, and so it's, it's context. It's always perception and context. You know, as a, as a citizen, you're in more danger because, because when something happens to you, it's a true ambush. Our focus is totally about the ambush. And, um, and so, you know, at the moment that a, a cop or special operations guy or you or me or John is ambushed, this is, this is why the research is powerful because it, what, it, what it talks to and triggers right away is the limbic, the, the limbic system, the amygdala, the whole reptilian brain fires off. Um, and that is why, you know, like my biggest client is uh, uh, military and law enforcement, not ironically who needs it more, which is like, you know, you and me and just like a citizen in ATM or getting out of their car because we, we live in our theoretical bubble thinking it won't happen. If I, if I said, you know, if I said, hey, one of us is going to get, you know, attacked later today, you know, everyone on this call is going to look over their shoulder and go, I wonder if it's going to be Tex. I wonder if it's going to be John. I wonder if it's going to be Tony. Right? We yeah, never think. Or, 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 or yeah, some people I hope like, it's I me. fucking hope it's me. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. Which, but, which I'd be like, oh, please just let me fucking do something. I'm like, God, I haven't hit anybody in anger in so many years. Dude, it's funny. We'll, we'll be driving around and, you know, I considered John under the aggressive driver category. And uh, <laughs> I, like a level that, you know, above me, which I would consider myself aggressive. And whenever something happens, like, oh, this fucking guy gets out of the car. I hope he gets out of the car. Oh, there he goes. What a pussy. <laughs> well, I really don't want him to get out of the car because I, if I know that something happens, I'm going to have to give him money, which I don't want to do or lose my freedom. But um, I also... Kids am, can dream, John. But, yeah. but I'm, I'm also really good at uh, stressful situations like that and sensing other people's stress. And right. And then taking that stress and actually turning it back and then making them question what they're doing is really the right thing they should be doing. And like, I've, I've been in like numerous kind of weird encounters like that where I've been like, are you sure you want to be doing this? You know, like, right. let's, let's take a step back. Let's role play this. How do you expect this is going to go for you? And like when you, you know, and, and the, for, for the most part, I think, um, and Tony, you, you know this, I mean, when you get into some form of confrontation, most people, you know, uh, energy goes through the roof, you know, voice goes up, all of a sudden people get this defensive posture and they start doing the peacock and like all these different things. And then when they run into people that have um, like a strange sense of calmness, right. you know, it, it's extremely uh, like unnerving and like they don't know how to react. They're like, well, wait, wait, I'm, I'm all wound up. Why aren't you wound up? It's kind of, you know, it's like we were, um, like Luke was saying, we were with these guys, and one of the guys that we were rapping with, his ears were literally 
like mangled. Yeah, like yeah. like so so trashed. And uh, and I, I made a joke. I'm like, you know, the only people I really would ever, you know, like in, in any type of deal, I see a guy instantly. Like I could see you printing with a gun, and I probably wouldn't as be as tactically or have as much tact as if I see a dude whose ears are so mangled, you know, like so puffed out, obviously an MMA or wrestler or something, where I see those right. ears, that might be the single best defense, at least for people that know what they're looking for. You see a dude <laughs> right. with those ears because you earn those. Like you just don't get right. those things. Right. Yeah. I actually, years, years ago, I, I, and, and the UFC ended up doing this years ago. I was, I'd make a joke. I'd, I'd try to make people laugh at our seminars. And I said, listen, you know, I got a like a like a de-escalation starter kit. It's a tap out shirt and these snap on cauliflower ears. <laughs> you, know, you go into a bar in a strange town, you pop your ears on into the car and get your shirt on, you walk into the bar and people are like, Oh, let's buy him a beer, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean uh, like like that that's the one thing I think um uh what I always really dug about your system and I have fucking apologized so many times that it's it, every time I always see anything, I'm always like, Fuck, we gotta go to this thing. And what I always really enjoyed, especially, you know, doing my job for playing in the NFL was a big thing was about assessing people really quickly. So you, right. you know, break out of the huddle, you run to the line and instantly you start doing like the, uh, you know, the, the ocular pat down as I would call it, where like, okay, like, you know, what's this guy doing? Does he look tired? Is he big? You know, like, you know, you start trying to, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, like, what's um, going on behind him? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've already done a scouting report. I know this, like I have to be able to, you know, be able to assess how much he wants it on this play, what I need to do. And you start kind of game planning and setting up this kind of like mental chess war that's, that's going to turn into a physical one really quickly. But um, I found when I went out in society and was away from there, you still do the same thing. You instantly walk up and right. see people, you know, you see how it is. And I, you know, we've been in numerous situations or stressful situations, whether it's driving or you meet people and people act like that. And you almost disarm me like, so what are we doing here? Like, you know, like, slow your roll. And, like, people are so quick to puff up their chest that I think you can almost disarm them either with a joke or a little bit of humor or just not being nervous. And when people see that you're not nervous, instantly they become scared. And that's almost the best form of fear. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, we have a maxim. So, you know, we've broken down our approach to confrontation management in three, three steps. D1, D2, D3. D1 is detect and avoid. D2 is defuse and deescalate. And D3 is a push comes a shove, defend yourself. And uh, in the D2 category, we've got a uh, maxim that those who talk can usually be persuaded to walk. And so if you've got the, the psychological wherewithal, and certainly uh, you must get into a lot of confrontations with, with people who are really nearsighted or blind, because um, <laughs> you're, so, you're so fucking big, I can't even imagine like, you know, but I've heard that before, like, like just fucking, you know, drunk idiots or just, you know, just the Napoleon Please. complex guy. I'll, I'll, I'll just give you a little uh, uh, insight. When I was in high school, I was about, you know, like, and I, sound, I know this sounds kind of funny when I tell it, but I was like 6'4", probably about 245 pounds. Right. I was like 16, 17 years old, which um, I would, I, you know, I'd go out and people would, were super confrontational with me. Like, I almost like fucking, like every time we'd either go somewhere, like somebody was always fucking confrontational. And then as I got to college and started getting bigger and all of a sudden I was like 275, 280, it slowed down. And then as soon as I crossed that 300 pound barrier, it literally stopped. And like for the, for, you know, and then it would be, uh, you know, something weird, like, you know, somebody cuts you off and a guy gives you a finger and you pull up and you wave and they want to get out of the car and then you get out of the car, then they get back in the car and drive away. And I'm like, right. I was, you know, but I, um, right. uh, it's it's funny. I mean, over the years, especially as an NFL player, you know, people are looking at it like, oh, if this guy hits me, I'm going to sue him. And there's going to be some bad backlash. I was right. a huge believer in being like, we can disarm most of this stuff with just a little bit of intelligence, a little bit of, uh, you know, just body position and just a little bit of um, just being like, hey, man, like, let's slow this down a little bit. Like, this isn't the best way to proceed. And right. now, now talk into that. What's interesting. So, you know, you know, one of the, one of the things that, I guess your listeners, anyone who's just like listening and trying to like learn some, some stuff from this is at the end of the day, you're not going to be bigger than you are the day that you fight. And so, you know, a lot of people are worried about their potential instead of their capacity. And you got to learn what you can do, whether you're a small, <clears throat> a small person or a big person, John, you could have, you know, with, with the same 300 pound frame, you, your stories could have been, uh, why do I always get beaten up? There's a part of your emotional, psychological development that, uh, you know, made it congruent with the, D with the rules of D2, the de-escalation, 
that uh, while your size helps, it's certainly a deterrent. The fact is uh, you were very uh, cerebral and through stress inoculation, through just growing up, your confrontations in football, uh, and you're a smart guy, put, you know, it put you in a place where, in, and this is, this is the maxim that I love, is you know, you know the expression, the pen is mightier than the sword? Sure. So, so I added a little part to that. I went, the pen is mightier than the sword when you know how to use a sword. Meaning you knew what was going to happen if this went physical. Whether, whether, you know. I've, and, I've always been a student of, uh, of violence, and we were talking about this the other day. I mean, I, I boxed and fought from the time I was six years old. And so being able to throw hands and being able to defend myself, and I, it was one of those things where even as a young you know, youngster, I was a good fighter. And then you get to the NFL and you get a chance to fight against guys of your own size and right. realize that, you know, that your ability to inflict pain on people, I mean, is greater than others. And, you know, you, 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 you become skilled at the art of combat and, and violence. And I think when you know that, then all of a sudden you get into a situation and you're like, this really isn't going to go well for you. And more importantly, I don't, you know, we don't want this to go to this place because one, I don't want it to, and neither do you. So like, let's just diffuse this a little bit and walk away and everybody will be happy. And then we won't have to fucking hurt anybody. Right. And, and something in your upbringing or how your parents raised you or just something allowed you to develop a, a D2 skill set. And I think that's what's really missing uh, in, in the world today. Certainly in a lot of the, the martial arts and self-defense communities, everything's the hammer. Everything is the D3. Everything's how to get out of a choke, how to do a gun disarm, how to do, you know, uh, you know how to fight. So everything starts in... Uh, in the fighting area. And so people aren't developing and plus we're in this entitled classified generation where everyone needs that safe space and everyone gets hurt and everyone's ready to sue. And you know, that there is no, there's almost no real situational awareness. Uh, uh, possibly a lot just because everyone's on their phone. Uh, uh, and, um, but you know what, you made that comment and I, I can't remember where you made it. It was either in a, a video or, or I, I can't remember if it was in person, but you made, you were like, you know, uh, uh, the majority of people are walking through life like this and this is all they focus on. And like, right. you know, and as soon as you said it, I remember I was at an ATM and this lady was on her phone at the ATM, zero situational awareness. I could have gone up and literally taken everything out of this lady's, uh, you know, person. Right. And I started even noticing how many people yeah. are literally walking on their phones to the point where, um, you know, I was, I was at the bank and I'm going across the street and this lady literally goes to step off and I like reached and like held her from falling off because she on her phone as a car went by. And then she like looks at me wow. all and I was like, you almost got killed. And then yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, did you see the car? And she was like, oh, uh, what? Like, I'm like, dude, you're walking. Yeah, for, for, a moment, for a moment, you're a sexual predator. Yeah. And, 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 yeah right. and, and then instantly, oh, thank you for saving my life because I'm too busy. And I think right. uh, you made that point. I, and I, I had just never even seen it until you brought it up. But it became something that I just hyper aware, just started watching. And to the point yeah. where I even talked to my wife, I was like, you know, uh, um, you almost have to be in the moment everywhere you are. I mean, everybody's so distracted in so many different ways and almost, you know, some, somewhere something else is more important. So I don't live in the moment. And I think that's just more you know, obviously situational awareness, but it's just more a metaphor for everything else that's going well, it's on. It's like riding a motorcycle, right? Like oh, trust geez. no one who's fucking driving. And now that like with everybody with cell phones, I mean, see even outside of the vehicle, you know, it's fucking. Well, that's, well, that's and that's part of the thing is like, you know, like almost everybody texts and drive because they think they think they can, you know, uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's this, you know, adaptation in the way, you know, we just, we, and this is all part of psychology. We just think, we think we're okay. We think it, someone else is going to make the mistake and not us. And, uh, you know, a lot of it is, is, you know, I break down situational awareness on, on two levels. Most people think of situational awareness as external, that ocular thing that you mentioned, John, where you're looking outside, but I really believe and this might be a little deep, but, but situational starts internally. What, what are your unconscious biases and how do you talk about an unconscious bias if it's unconscious and, and what are your prejudices and what are, so if you start with situational awareness saying, I'm okay to drive drunk, I'm okay to, uh, to text and drive because I'm a real, I'm good at multitasking. Then that's an, uh, that's a prejudice bias that you have that changes actually your external situational awareness. And so, you know, the 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 stuff that that I certainly am really passionate about is getting 
is provoking people to really think about shit, right? You know, careful what you practice, you might get really good at the wrong shit. And, huh. and, 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 uh, um, it's, uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting time, uh, like we were talking about earlier, just, just how, you know, butthurt people are and, and the amen. And, you know, we go back to like, you know, you studying violence, John, I mean, we're not allowed to use the word violence anymore. I don't think, you know, they're just, uh, you know, you know, bad guys can't be called bad guys. I think they're clients now in jail. It's our clients or something. I'm joking, but, uh, you know, they're changing. <laughs> Everything is so PC. Uh, but I really believe if somehow, if somehow we could teach, uh, kids more about instincts and intuition, managing fear and learning how to defend themselves. And what's the difference between, uh, you know, offense and self-protection that, that we would change the trajectory that this, that the world's headed on. Just people need to be, you know, you grew up at a, at a time I grew up, I grew up at a time where, where, I mean, I look at some of the shit out there and I'm going, are you kidding? I don't even know what to say to this. Like, I don't even, you know, it's just people, people need to know how to fight, not, not for paranoid reasons, although this is a great era to also look at the world and go, this would be a good time to learn how to, to know how to protect yourself. You know, I'm always telling people the ability to protect yourself as a loved or a loved one is probably the single most important skill you could possess that every, every goal that you have and every material possession you had, you would give up in a second. If you're of sound mind and body, if I said, hey, here's what's going to happen, you get to keep your, your guitar collection, your watch collection, your cars, your bank account, but the people most important to you are going to be, you know, destroyed tomorrow by violence. You know, you know, like I think you would go, fuck that shit. I like, I, I want my family or I want myself, whatever, wherever right, you're at. Right, right. Well, the, um, uh, the, the other one I think people really benefit from is just um, being punched in the face at least once. <laughs> at some point needs to be punched in the face and feel that either taste of their own blood that like, you know, that feeling of being punched in the nose where you're like, I think I'm going to, you know, throw up or hit in the solar plexus, you know, uh, wind knocked out of you or anything. Just that, uh, I don't know how I'm going to react until it happens. You can game right. play, role play and all that. And I remember I was, uh, I was pretty young. I think I was like six years old and my, um, older brother got into a fight and I guess he got his ass kicked or something. And, uh, um, uh, my dad, not being a you know a fighter, was like, well, let's take him to karate, right? The karate kid deal. So he takes my brother into martial arts, and you know, takes him to the Shotokan place. And after about two weeks, my brother starts beating up on my brother and I. So what does my dad do? He just takes all there and was like, well, he's going to beat up and you'll just take everybody. So I'm six years old, <laughs> and I'm in this uh, Shotokan deal, and it was you know alcatas and forearms and like you know super technical Japanese stuff. I mean, the dude was so old school Japanese. You know, like, like the, uh, the bamboo bow staff that, you know, you'd sit and kneel, and if you moved, he would whack you on the shoulder. I mean, like, like dude, it was, the guy was seriously old school Japanese, and uh, nice. I mean, there was this physical abuse where if you made a mistake, there was a physical repercussion for your mistake. Like, if you were, you know, lazy and your thumb was out, you to pull your thumb back. I mean, it was just how they did it, you know, like, you put your arm out, the dude would whack your arm if it, was, if it wasn't tight. Right. And, and uh, I really liked it. And, but I remember in that situation, the first time I got sucked in the face pretty hard and thinking like, this wasn't so bad. You right. know, and you're like, oh, all right. And then, you know, and then you, you know, you get back up and you do it again. And I actually ended up doing that until I thought kicking was stupid. And then I got into boxing. Right. You know, and so, and then you get into a point where you go to the box and then you get hit so many times that all of a sudden you start developing this weird calm before the storm where you get into a situation, you know you're going to get hit, you know you're going to hit other people, and it becomes this kind of a moot point. You're like, it's part of the acceptance. It's like going and playing football. Um, I knew I was going to hit people. I knew people were going to hit me. I know things were going to get broken, and people were going to be fucked up, and I was going to get fucked up. But you enter into it with almost, at least for me personally, uh, this weird kind of calmness that you're like, yeah, we're going to go fuck these guys up, and then we're going to go get a beer after this. So let's go do our work and get out of here. And I think like that's the one thing I think from the years of, of being a student of violence and being good at it, um, you just develop this weird kind of calmness. And, um, you know, like the one thing which I noticed is uh, the more stressful situations are, are actually more kind of soothing. And, you know, when there was 100,000 people standing out there and all this, you know, the UDs and all these things, that was probably the most quiet and calm it's ever been in my life. It's when things are too quiet and calm that I start to get nervous. And, uh, you know, that's so, that's. It's amazing. And I noticed, uh, while you were describing the progression, I had this, this kind of 
crazy sick grin on my face, <laughs> like kind of vicariously reliving and remembering. I mean, when I started teaching, I was one of the, this is in the eighties. I set up my first martial arts school and the sign of my door was functional self-defense, which was very odd title for back in, 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 in the eighties. Cause like, why would you write functional self-defense? And it's like this whole reality based self-defense craze that's been going on. I'm like, what other type of self-defense is there? Like, why do you need to write reality, you know, reality based defense against unicorns and mermaids, you know, like, like, just, you know, <laughs> You smiled when I said Shotokan. I mean, you know exactly what that style of martial arts oh, is. Yeah. Like, hey, you know, we're, we're going to build proficiency through, like, you know, different technical, you know, closed-loop environment skills, and then you're going to do these rehearsed katas, and right. then somehow you have to be able to take all these skills and then put them into, like, an open loop where now we're going to spar. And I remember right. being like, how is me working this kick a thousand times? I guess the idea is that muscle memory, and then all of a sudden, be like, I, I just remember, like, having this hard um, – you know, transition between like learning one, you know, like one kick, one punch, and then basically putting them into katas and different, which are like, you know, rehearsed movements and then being right. able to take that into a uh, sparring platform. And I remember being like, why just don't we spar more? Right. Like why yeah, not just so learn the movements? So like, that's what kind of like took, took me. I'm like, I don't want to learn your rehearsed dance. I want you right. to like, me how to like how to throw a good punch. And then I want to go punch somebody. Well, it was, and it was interesting. It, you're, you're, you're making me think of uh, a bunch of things. First of all, our whole approach intuitively was, was what now neuroscience is called brain-based. We, you know, my sign on my door, and it was very provocative at the time, and I had a lot of, I, there wasn't a way to monetize your haters back then, but people hated me. People hated me for saying, uh, I would say, hey, this is functional self-defense, and there's no rituals, no uniforms, no nonsense. That was the slogan on our door. You know, no one had to bow. We did, and everything, everything was dynamic and everything was reverse engineered from scenarios. And we always did scenarios starting in 1980. I, I put together the, like what was probably the, the first organized force on force scenarios. Uh, it, and we had uh, hockey gauntlets on and Taekwondo chess guard and the Super Safe Q Kushin Kai helmets from Japan and just kicked the shit out of each other. And our stuff, our, our, um, our scenarios were, we're always like, hey, let's have three guys jump these two guys as they're getting out of a car. Let's film it. Let's analyze it. And we did that over and over. And, uh, uh, and that, was, that was our whole approach. Our, we, practiced, uh, we practiced the mechanics. And you talk about open loop, closed loop. I mean, that whole system doesn't work. It doesn't work when you're teaching shooting that way. And I've had, like, you know, so we've got a gunfighting course for military and law enforcement people. And, and uh, you know, and I asked the question, I go, listen, you know, flat range, dial in, understand your weapon, da, 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 or force on force. If you could only do one for an hour and then you had to send somebody to go fight, you only had an hour to show them shit, what would you do? Uh, assuming they could, they could load their gun. And it was amazing how many experienced people said, you got to teach them the basics first. You got to teach them the basics first. And I would go, no, if you have an hour to train somebody, get him doing force on force. And, and, uh, and it's the way we teach self-defense. Like we literally, in between four and six hours, self-defense should be taught like fucking CPR. Like in six hours, I tell people, you can learn a CPR course and you have the skills to detect and metaphorically diffuse and de, you know, de-escalate uh, a life-threatening situation. It doesn't make you a fucking doctor after six hours. And that's the whole thing. You can learn how to use a fire extinguisher in an hour. It doesn't make you a fireman. You can learn that some basic home defense in an hour with a shotgun. It doesn't make you a SWAT team leader. And this is the big thing is this reframe for the general public is, uh, and, and I'm not disputing like, like, Hey, listen, you know, will you be better if you go box and tie box and do MMA and all that? Yeah. There's stress inoculation in there and go back to, I mean, my brain is racing with things because, you know, uh, going back to you saying everyone should get punched in the face. Um, yeah. But, but not everybody, like, for example, when people would hit me, John, it would always make me smile. When someone would hit me, I'd smile, and I'd, and I'd be like, uh, um, um, uh, I, I would smile, and I would, I'd be like, hey, that was a, that was a good shot. Um, and, uh, and it would intensify things. I would know this person's serious, but it would never, you know, and now, not, like, you, if you did that to everybody, their reaction is going to be different. You had that same reaction, right? It was like, this is good. Okay, here we go. 
But those are the hunters and those are the people that have that kind of like that warrior gene or that, that uh, and you found a way to be a warrior in football, right? Just, so I'm going to go out and battle. And, and, uh, but not, not everybody, not everybody has that, but everybody should still get hit and go, see, that sucks. So that means you should keep your mouth shut because you're not, <laughs> you're not, you're not that person. But then there's another part of me. And I mean, this, I mean, this altruistically is, is that people should need to do it so they know that they're more resilient than they thought that. And this is important where, cause you get, you get this cross section of society thinks, oh, I'll just kick him in the balls, not realizing that that's not physically debilitating. So there's this, there's this false assumption that I'm just going to do this palm strike and, and this person's going to stop fighting or I'm going to do this front kick. And, and so the, the knowledge gain there is more of a, like a psychological reset. It's not about the physical. It's like, okay, I just got punched really hard. I'm okay. I don't want that to happen again. Therefore, I will learn how to avoid violence. In other words, you know, there's this, there's this cathartic element. It's not, and somebody might get hit and go, you know, I'd like to do this for a living. And they go on to become, you know, a boxing champion or MMA champ. It's, 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 it can be deep shit. A lot of people look at guys like you and me, I think, and think of us as, the, you know, the warmonger, bully, and, you know, they, they, they just judge us. And that just gets us mad. And then we want to punch them in the throat. So they're wrong. <laughs> well, actually, for me, I've actually tried to sharpen my wit to the point where I'd like to firmly them believe that not only can I tear them down uh, verbally and emotionally and mentally, that I can also fucking stomp them physically. And I'd like to believe that I'd be like, you know what, let's just enter a battle of wits at this point. Give me your right. best fucking spar on that occasion. But, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's interesting, like. And especially when you think about boys versus girls, this is something, you know, like I have twin daughters that are five years old. And I think as a parent, you naturally, you know, treat your daughters differently than your sons. And I've actually made a point to not at all actually to try to treat my daughters like they were boys. And so something we talk about is like, you know what, like you don't want to do that. Like I was trying to tell my daughter today, uh, you need to stop fucking with your sister because your sister's going to punch you. And then, um, and then I told my, my other daughter, I was like, uh, if she keeps fucking with you, punch her. I didn't say fucking with her, but I'm like, if she keeps messing with you, I want you to punch her. And so, like, all of a sudden, like, you know, 10 minutes later, she punches her. And then my <laughs> wife is over there trying to talk to him about this. And then she came over, you know, dad told me this, and then I'm getting in trouble. And I'm like, they have to learn. Like, this is how boys learn stuff, right? If you, you know, with your brother, if I'm going to fuck with my brother and he punches me, I'm probably not going to mess with him again. And I'm like, that's the difference. And so, um, like, our girls, uh, um, like, we went, they were doing dance. And then we went to this, uh, like, their final rehearsal, like, their big deal. And they made them dress up like reindeers last year in these, like, ridiculous reindeer outfits and do this dancing thing. And as we were leaving, we walked by the Art of Jiu-Jitsu, which is, uh, you know, the Mendez Brothers here in Newport Beach. Right. And, like, we walked by and, like, we stopped and I looked at them and was like, do you guys want to do dance? And they're like, not at all. We want to do this. And huh. so... Like the, awesome. uh, so we'll go and we've gone to the jujitsu place a couple of times. Cause I want them just to see it, like, you know, watch it and actually ask a couple of times. I just don't want to drop them off. But I told them like, you guys just turned five, you guys are ready. You can go in these classes. And actually, uh, um, I think that environment with your daughters, putting them in a situation where they are uh, comfortable within stressful situations, whether they do this and people ask me like, why aren't you worried? I'm like, no, no, the only thing I'm worried about is let's say they're 13 and some dude messes with them. I want them to be able to be, rat pack some dude in arm bar and snap his arm or, you know, get out of some stressful situation. Cause I'd much rather get that phone call than to be like, Oh, your, your 13 year old daughter got assaulted. She got raped. Something happened. And I think right. the problem becomes is that as parents, we are not prepping our children for the bad. We, you know, and, and you, you know this, I mean, why actually maybe you don't because you probably didn't done it, but the majority of parents that I meet want to shield their children from everything. Like they want to like, right. Oh no, this will all be fine. And I, and I, I try to tell them like, we were somewhere and uh, there was a guy uh, obviously had been on drugs and he was panhandling on the street. And like, my daughter was like, what's wrong with him? I'm like, he's on drugs. And they're like, what are drugs? And then we had a conversation about drugs and this is what happens when you take drugs. And like that, and like people were like, I can't believe you talked to your daughters about that. I'm like, why wouldn't I, if I don't talk right. to them, who's going to talk to them? Like, right. Why are we at this point? We want to shelter our children from all of these fucking terrible things things and then all of a sudden the terrible things come to your door and then you have to have this uh, explanation i don't want to have this talk when i'm 16 i want to have this conversation over the course of 10 years yeah and it's ironic john if you don't talk to them they don't have situational awareness in other 
which good information actually supports the situational awareness that is your, I mean, that's the fuel for all action. Otherwise you're reactive. Otherwise you're always getting blindsided. And then look at, you know, I had some really strange conversations with my kids. You know, we know some of the crap that's being fed to them by the, the agendas of teachers and schools, parents, you know, you look at anything going on, the, the, the violence in society, you look at, you look at, um, well, just look at what's look at the meltdowns that are happening now post-election. Yeah. That's shitty parenting. Like at the end of the day, I remember reading years ago. I was a single dad. I'm happily married now with two kids, but um, um, and uh, you know we've got three kids together and expose them to to everything and talk to them about about stuff. And they all you know they were all had to come through the training even if they didn't want it and. Uh, and, and remember years ago when I, when I took custody of my son, when he was, he was, well, when he was born, I had fought for custody of him and, and had him, you know, since day one, which is an amazing thing. And living in Canada at the time, uh, unheard of because it, you know, probably similar in the States, it just automatically, you know, defaults to the mom unless, you know, she's, you know, a drug addict, prostitute or whatever. But, no, she uh, has to be dead, actually. She has to be, wow. Yeah, they'll so, do. Yeah. So, but, but it, what was interesting is I started, like, when, when this reality happened, I remember I had no fear. I just knew I had to learn this stuff. And I remember reading something uh, about, uh, just about the parenting and about, about the kids stuff that, that you, you, just, you just reminded me. And one was nothing affects a child's life more than a parent's unlived life, which kind of blew my mind and made me really think about, about my goals and what I had to do. Okay. I wasn't going to be able to stay at home. Dad, I was, you know, I, I was going to take my kid on the road with me and travel all, you know, all over. And, uh, the other, the other thought was something that screwed up, but, but paraphrasing it that, uh, this therapist, famous psychologist, the therapist wrote, he says, I always want to meet the parents. It helps me forgive the children. And, uh, um, another, you know, heavy thought, provocative, you know, thing where I look at what's going on out in the streets and the meltdowns and I'm going like, like we, we can, you can blame, you can't blame Obama and, and the schools directly for that. Of course, there were some fucked up decisions made, you know, with that. And there's, there's a lot to blame there, in my opinion, but like it, like you and I didn't start crying. We didn't, we didn't go out and protest when he got, you know, elected. And what I'm saying is like, our our self esteem and our focus on what we had to do as as good humans as what we had to do as parents what we had to do as businessmen it didn't impact whether it was republican or or, or liberal or uh, any of that shit and it just and so this comes back to when I see like like some guy a guy weeping because Donald Trump was I go that's fuck that that guy had no parents. <laughs> it's just this line of well, it's it's yeah, it, it's this weird thing, and um, you know, you've seen it actually being a parent. Like we, you know, we go to different uh, uh, you know play dates, and we have a bunch of friends that are you know our kids were in preschool with, and you go hang out with these other parents, and you realize people don't look at things the same way, and you know, like uh, people, you know, and, and Greg Glassman made one of the most insightful you know comments, and Greg does make. I mean, and I think he just fucking these things just come off the cuff for him. But he said people fail at the margins of their experience, and he said that. And like, it was one of those things where it was that was such an impactful statement to me. Um, and it's so true. I mean, I've seen it everywhere. People fail at the margins of their experience if they haven't pushed their experience level and you know what their uh, you know desire to go out and understand. Then you know what that's where they stop. And there's so few people that want to go out and explore, even if it is dangerous. Uh, that maybe you know don't want to ask the hard questions because they don't want to get the hard answers. And then it, they're fine to stop here. And then all of a sudden you get into raising children and you're trying to you know, teach them within your breath of life and offer them some of your experience. I mean, cause that's all really parenting is like, this is what I did. These are the mistakes. These are the positives. This is what I've done. And now I have to be able to hopefully teach you, you know, how, you know, right from wrong, you know, how to navigate this thing. Cause you know, at the end of the day, like, I'm not going to be here forever. And the only thing that's going to stick with you is the lessons that I've taught you. I mean, it's like my dad is still, you know, has taught me more uh, about, you know, life than I would ever care in probably didn't even realize he was doing it. 
You know, like right. the, the joke we talked at the seminar is, um, you know, when I was like 13, uh, all of a sudden I grew real fast and I couldn't run anymore and I was slow. And I went to my dad and I said to my mom, I was like, oh, I'm not fast anymore. Like I need somebody to teach me how to run. And my, my mom was like, oh, it's a good idea. And I asked my dad, my dad's like, I'm not fucking paying for that shit. And he kind of blew it off. And then I had to kind of go back. And I remember I was uh, um, PE, I was going to get like a C or a D and I was too embarrassed to come home with a low grade. So I asked the teacher if I could do makeup runs as extra credit. And the teacher was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I mean, whenever everybody asked. So uh, we would run on a timed run on Wednesday. And then Friday after school, like towards the end of school, I would run again so I could get extra points. So I would get a passing grade because I didn't want to come home and actually show my parents I got C and PE. And like if my dad right. probably like put me in some running stuff and showed me where I was fucked up, it probably wouldn't have had to do it. But also it wouldn't have like taught me that, you know, a little bit of self-reliance. And then to this day, I still busted balls. I'm like, dad, like you could have got me a running coach. He's like, dude, you played 10 years in the NFL. I'm like, I could have played 12, <laughs> you know, and like, I, like, like we joke about these things, but you know, uh, he's like, uh, it seemed dumb to me at the time, but he goes, it ended up working out in the end, but it, it's, I think, and, and uh, children put a lot of shit in perspective, and until you have kids, like, it's kind of uh, uh, one of those things where you really don't even put yourself in that mindset, but, I mean, for my daughters, I mean, my, my son, I have no doubt that, you know, because you will naturally put your boys in situations, I hope, that, you know, put them in stressful situations and allow them to test themselves. I mean, that's what fucking men have done to their sons for, for, for an eternity, uh, but I think right. your daughters, people are so, you know, and, and you, you have daughters as well. People coddle their kids. I mean, they coddle their daughters. They treat them like these little princesses and, you know, we don't want anything bad to happen. And then they go to college and, you know, all of a sudden you're not there to manage everything and they get themselves into trouble. I'm not doing that with my kids. I don't, I, I don't want to ever um, not prepare the people. And that's something we do here at, you know, at Power Athlete. We teach seminars or training. Uh, I, I look at my job is to prepare these people for what they're going to use it for. And um, there was, uh, who, what was the movie, The Hunted, with Benicio Del Toro and uh, Tommy Lee Jones? Academy Award winner. Dude, uh, unbelievable movie. I mean, you want to talk about fear and, and a lot of those things, but uh, you know, he, he plays, uh, uh, was it uh, Tracker Tom Brown? And the lady asked him, you know, how did you get good at this stuff? He said, you know, my dad, uh, you know, went off to war and, you know, people died and he was going to make sure that his sons never died. So he taught us all this stuff. His dad looked at it like this idea that he had to prepare his sons for the worst that was going to happen. And then, you know, they were able to develop this skill set. And I really think that that's where parenting, at least from my perspective, is, is really takes over that you have to prepare themselves because if you don't, who's going to do them? You know, uh, you know, are you going to just be able to drop them off at the dojo? I mean, my dad, you know, dropped us off there and, you know, thank God it, it, it took and did pretty well. But I mean, where are the people that, you know, like if I drop my kid off at Tony Blowers, I'm pretty sure they're going to understand, you know, not only fear, but all these things, but how do they navigate this? Like, where do people learn this? And, right. um, that's been really, uh, you know, for us and especially with power athlete, like developing a training system where, um, you know, we are developing athleticism. That's what I believe. I believe I can make people better athletes. And if you're a better athlete, you can go to something like you're doing and be a better version of yourself. You can go do this. You can do all these things. And what I've really seen is when people fail is in their, in their understanding of their own body and how to use it in space and all these other things. But they have to have the mental, you know, training. To be able to yeah. And, and, and that's the whole thing is, you know, for, uh, I don't know when I first started saying this, but the mind navigates the body. You know, when when you get up and decide to go for a run, it's because you, something in your emotional psychological system said, I'm going to run today because most people uh, don't want to go run. And so it's not your muscle memory. It's not your quads and your calves that are taking you for a run. It's it's your mindset. And everything, I believe, starts with with the mind. And And if you reverse engineer everything, uh, it, it's, it's, you know, kind of what I said earlier, but, you know, fear throttles everything we do from, you know, who we talk to, to therefore who we marry, how much money we make, where you live, how much weight you lift, uh, and whether or not you defend yourself is all going to be throttled by, or, uh, uh, you know, supercharged by, by how you look at, how you look at fear. And, and it's, you know, it's amazing to hear you say, you know, about your program that, it, that it's, it's, it's about, you know, the evolution of the athlete and their movement and, and their confidence and their athleticism. Uh, it, and, and this is what we, you know, again, we try to be transcendent and I'm using the two, my two observations in life, which, and I, like I created a program I wish somebody had taught me as a kid and it wasn't there. And, and so my boxing coach, you know, uh, uh, taught me, taught me how to box. 
but he didn't teach me how to think and manage fear. I had to figure that shit out, uh, you know, in and outside the ring. My Taekwondo in, instructor, he was like your Shotokan instructor, you know, rigid and focused and purist and all that. Uh, but there, there, there never was, and even even some of the the uh, the most uh, you know high tech performance psychologists of today, I look at the stuff and I it, I yawn. It just makes me. I'm like, really? They're still telling you to visualize that you're talking to Cindy Crawford to calm down and and uh, you know like it's like like silly visualizations. They're going like, when somebody's trying to punch you in the face, or someone's got a gun in your face, or there's a whole different thing going on there, you know, uh, and so everything comes down to that mindset and what we do like in your course is our our transformative goal is greater self-awareness and understanding uh d1 from the inside what are what are my uh, uh fears because what i fear is also going to impact what i see and how i react to all of that and we use the self-defense because at the end of the day you know unless it's unless it's somebody like like if you came to our course, John, you'd be looking at it as uh, because of, of the stress inoculation you've had throughout your life and your, your just, just the mindset, your worldview on violence, where a lot of people come to our course scared shitless, right? And there's that irony of, of you know, fear at work. We had, we had two women sign up for a two-day course I was doing when I lived in Montreal uh, who got mugged on the way, literally got mugged on the way to my seminar. Um, and I called them because it was, a, it was a, only 12 people in, in the course. We were starting. I called their cell and said, hey, you're late. We need to start. And they said, start without us. We're not coming. I had a, a facility in a, an industrial park. And so they had to walk. Like the, you know, it wasn't public transit, you know, subway, bus stop type situation. But they actually got mugged on the way there. And I remember thinking, and this is what I'm talking about, like personalities. If I had signed up for a self-defense seminar and got mugged on the way there, after I lost my belongings, I would run to the seminar and go, fucking teach me. This was a day too late, right? They went home and went, look, the world is a bad place. You can't do shit. And so it's, it, was, it was a really interesting juxtaposition for me. But uh, uh, Did they come to the seminar or they just didn't come? No, no, no. No, they just, they just bailed. You know, oh, and you couldn't talk them into it, huh? No, I didn't. Well, I didn't try at that point. It was like, okay, I'm starting, you know, but it was just because at, at that, at that moment, it was almost like we were saying earlier, that pressure reveals well, like their DNA at that point. Um, and at the end of the day, like to me, real violence is a choiceless choice, you know, and, and uh, I, I'm not cavalier about it. You know, I tell people, listen, you know, we're options facilitators, you know, if someone if, if you can do whatever you want, if you cooperate with a rapist, you get raped. You cooperate with a mugger, you get mugged. You've got you've got to read the scenario and what's going on. So, um, but at the end of the day, nobody does anything with, without their ability to manage their fear. And 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 the semantics of fear is interesting because uh, I remember going down to Fort Bragg and uh, uh, got there a couple of days earlier. And one of the guys I met, I met off site and he said, Hey, we're going jumping this weekend. Do you want to come? And I'd already, you know, skydived twice. I really don't like heights. And so I, I skydived twice as a, a self part of myself, uh, uh, analysis, fear management mindset shit. Cause I really don't like heights. And so I said, I'm going to jump on an airplane and do kind of this, this, this assessment on myself, my breathing, my, my blood pressure, my, and I did this way back in the day. Uh, and, um, so I knew I could jump out of an airplane if I had to. And over the years I've met like two types of people who, who jump and I'm talking about like, you know, military dudes. And there are the, those who love jumping out of an airplane and those who hate jumping out of an airplane, but they both jump out of an airplane, right? One to stay qualified and one just extra time. You know, I just, they just love the skydiving aspect. And so this is really a story about the semantics of fear, because if I ask somebody, you know, Hey, are you afraid? They're like, no. And everyone's afraid of something, right? It's what you visualize when you give the answer is the stuff you're not afraid of, you're, with the shit that's in your comfort zone. And, and so, uh, you know, um, I remember uh, saying to this guy, hey, uh, he goes, you want to come jumping? I go, no. He goes, why are you afraid? I said, I said well, I don't like jumping out of airplanes. I've done it. I'm not a big fan. And he, and he smiled because he knew 
like, oh, I caught Tony being afraid of something. And I went, hey, listen, now we're all afraid. I said, you're not afraid? He goes, no. I said, so you have no fear of jumping in an airplane? He goes, no. I go, so let me pack your chute. He's like, fuck that, right? And it was like, oh, so you are afraid if I pack your chute, and suddenly, you know, the ritual changes. Um, and so at a certain point, it becomes, uh, uh, you know, semantics. And it's almost what you say with, 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 with Greg's quote, uh, and, and, and this whole, you know, pushing the, like, like I love to, to use this, this maxim. You never know how much you can do until you try to do more than you can. And the way we understand, uh, and again, that is like, like to actually, to actually say to yourself, I'm going to try and run harder, faster, or I'm going to do more pushups, or I'm going to, you know, try and do these, these tactical reloads faster and harder. I'm going to, whatever, whatever it is you're doing, uh, it's all, it's still about fear management. It's still about, can I do this? It's that Roger Bannister thing where, where everyone goes, no one will break the four minute mile. Then he does it. And then everyone does it. And now if you can't run four minutes, you can't compete. Right. And so you remember when 135 pounds in CrossFit used to be like world-class weight, right? <laughs> now, like the, the average Joes are flinging that around and, and it's that, it's that adaptation, but the adaptation starts well, here's another quote of Greg's, you know, the greatest adaptation occurs between the years. I want to share one, one story that's amazing about, about individual rituals is I always, when I would meet somebody, whether they were uh, 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 military law enforcement fighter, uh, victim of violence, I would always talk to them and, and try and get in their head a little bit. And I remember um, uh, talking to Maurice Smith. I don't know if you know Maurice, but Maurice was a K1 world champion. Sure. So, um, I got to know him a little bit years ago, and I remember before uh, an event, he was like lying there with um, just headphones on, whatever the beats of the day was, right? The cool, cool headphones, and he's just like listening to R and B type thing, just chilling. And around me, all you know, there was one fighter, you know, sitting where his knee is like pounding, like you know, bouncing off the floor, you know, like vibrating. Another guy punching his face, walking around. Another guy standing in front of a locker, bang bang you know banging his head on it people pacing people quiet and i remember saying to maurice i go hey you know i study fear you mind if i ask you a couple questions he goes yeah sure go ahead and i go um so you seem like incredibly relaxed right now like you're getting ready to go into a fight um so do you feel fear talk to me about that and he goes let me ask you a question i say sure go ahead he says do you have a job i go yes i do he said are you afraid to go to work I go, no, I'm not. He says, me either, right? And it was just, he had evolved to the point where this is how I feed my family. This is my job. Now, the, 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 you know, everyone goes, well, what a cool line for a movie. But what I share to people is, listen, if I had said to that fighter who was punching himself in the face, pacing the room, or that other fighter who was sitting on the bench and his foot was going a million miles an hour just with adrenaline, if I had said, I need you to put on these headphones and listen to smooth jazz, he might have lost his fight. Everyone, this is where I come back to that self-awareness piece. You need to find out what's productive and what's destructive to your goal. And, and uh, you know, I was, I was teaching in, in Singapore this past weekend, and I said, you know, there's stuff that I'm realizing now in my 50s, at 56, that I wish somebody had shared with me when I was 26. But wait a minute, I would have had to have been born at minus four for that to make any sense because it took me 30 years to realize like that was right. And so shit just takes time. As long as if you're a good human and you're focused on good shit and, and, um, and, and you're, just, you're just trying to do the right thing, I think, think things turn out. We have no choice to, but to think that way. It turn out okay. And a lot of it starts with, you know, what you spoke of a lot of, and that's just, just being honest with your kids and, and giving them the tools to navigate the bullshit in life. Cause all the other shit is, is just, it's just, it's literally part of the narrative, right? It's just part of the, you have to get a job and you got to pay this and you got to do that and all that. The rest of the shit is like our, our goals towards our personal happiness are, are just about that authenticity. This got kind of heavy for a moment. No, no, it's great. I mean, the, um, uh, you know, and I, uh, fear is interesting because, um, 
you got to see all levels of fear playing the NFL. And there were guys that were, you know, fearful of losing, guys fear of winning, I mean, fear of this, I mean, all, and like fear is kind of one of those deciding factors. And I played with guys that, you know, could sleep before the game and had, you know, zero fear about anything. And uh, I actually had this, uh, you know, I very early assessed my fear, which was a fear of losing. And okay. uh, I fucking hate losing and I don't ever want to lose. And I, um, so I had this weird fear of losing that actually drove me to get up in the morning and train and to do all the little things because I knew if I put all those little, P, all those little things in place, then it, it mitigated my fear of, uh, of losing on game. Uh, you know, because you go out there and your name's on the back of your jersey and everybody can see that, you know, at least for me, born And, you know, everybody I ever went to fucking school with that, you know, thought I wasn't going to do it or could do it or whatever it is. All those people are watching and I know what's in their mind is they're waiting for me to fuck up to be like, I knew it. And that weird little piece of being like, I'm never going to ever, you know, have anybody, you know, ever assume anything other than the truth, which is the fact that I went out there and played the game exactly as I should have, which was, you know, hard and you know, did exactly what I needed to do and wanted to be successful. And I had this uh, a weird fear of failure and to the point where, um, it was hard for me to almost live in the moment for the game. You know, like people think of the joys and all this. I mean, I actually, like when the game was done and I knew I did my work, I, okay, let's get to the next one. And, and uh, you know, people always ask, did you really love the game? And for me, it was like, I didn't really give a shit about the game. I, I only cared about the individual combats, the one-on-one -on -one fights. And, you know, being able to prove myself good or bad on every single one. And they, they were like, well, did you do it for the love? I'm like, no, I did it because I didn't like to lose. Uh, right. I did it for the, you know, and they were like, well, well, was that why you got up and train? I'm like, no, I was fucking scared if I didn't, I'd get my ass kicked. So that's why you get up in the morning and that's why you train and that's why you, you know, do all these things to prepare yourself so that you can go out and be, you know, the weapon of violence you need yourself to be. And then you have, to have enough fucking werewolves to be like, I have enough pride and enough fear to not want to ever fucking lose. And like that mindset, like when you start talking to people, people are like, no, I don't have that mindset at all. And I'm like, well, that's the one that just worked for me. It might not work for you. And when the old, when the young guy talked to me about it, you know, because uh, you know, when you come in the NFL and you've been there for a while, the young guys always ask you questions like, oh, this and this. And when I'd explain that thing to them, like I'd see this kind of blank look and they'd kind of get a little disheveled being like, well, I don't have that. And I'm like, well, dude, you might have something else. You just have to find what drives you and, you know, being able to manage your fear. Because I watched guys and he said that would, Amazing practice players. All of a sudden, you put them in 100,000 people screaming all these stressful situations, and they would fucking melt down. And I remember thinking, like, how is it that, you know, uh, like, like, how are you letting all this external information come through and, you know, force you out what you need to do? Like, to me, that was weird. I'm like, just calm the noise. Don't hear it. Don't, like, focus on what you have to do. And that was uh, – it was interesting, but I mean, maybe that's the reason that, you know, guys like Tom Brady can, you know, rise to the occasion when it's the most stressful situation, but yet, you know, you have a bunch of million other guys you've never heard of that were amazing practice players. You know, why is it that and people use it all the time, you know, like this guy was, um, you know, this guy's a gamer or, you know, guys in fight prep, like maybe not a great training camp, but yet are able to go out and, you know, be amazing fighters. And, um, you know, so, so it's something I always thought about. Like, yeah, that's, you know, and, uh, you know, it's funny while you're telling that story about what, what mode you motivated you and drove you is, you know, I kept waiting for an opportunity to say, Hey, you should think, thank your father for not getting you that running coach because, and here's the thing is, is what, what he did is he triggered self-reliance and initiative in you. And, and you don't know at what point where it, were you predisposed to that and you'd have been successful, like the joke you made, hey, you'd have played 12 years instead of 10 years. Um, but, you know, I've tried to, you know, trigger self-reliance initiative in employees and friends and family, and it doesn't work. In other words, at some point, I got to the point where now I'm at a point where I go, well, I'm going to show you the way I explain some shit. I'm going to try and motivate you a couple of times, but this is going to be like baseball, three strikes and you're out. And then I've just, now I still love you and I'm still friends with you, but I'm not going to try and figure out how to motivate you because I've got to keep my shit together. Um, and it's, and it's interesting. The, um, you know, the, the, just how lazy people are and, but we're from different generations, but I really, but I also think that I think, I think there's, there's a, a genetic element to this that not everyone's going to, you know, uh, uh, play in the NFL. Not everyone's going to be a fighter. Uh, at the end of the day, 
we, I really believe from a physiological point of view and from just like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, just that foundational survival thing that if, if we understood fear, and this is like, like the big, the big paradigm shift that, that we try to invoke is you remember, you remember the no fear company, sure. uh, N O fear. And so I remember, you know, I bought all the t-shirts because I lived with so much fear as an athlete, uh, uh, in life, you know, learning, trying to study violence. Uh, uh, you know, going following that same path, and I remember buying the shirts. And I, the joke I make in our in our seminars now is, I bought those shirts, but they were all fucking defective because I would wear the No Fear shirt, and I was still like scared. You know, <laughs> you know, you know the irony of that is, uh, my buddy Rick actually was their original designer and did all the No Fear designs, and like all it that was great. Yeah. It, was, it was great stuff. But I tell people like, hey, listen. The belief that a state of no fear exists perpetuates more fear because if you get outside that comfort zone, uh, that margin of experience, you will get an adrenaline dump. And that's just not understanding physiology. And if you understand how to look at that adrenaline dump, you can use it as a fuel or it'll fuck you up uh, and it'll get in your head. And now you've got this unsolicited fear and it's just the, it's, it's this, this, it's your imagination uh, you know, manipulating what you should be thinking about right now and what you need to do. You know, one of the things it was, it was funny, uh, it, you know, we talked about the psychology of in- intimidation from a fighter's perspective. Uh, you know, we'll ask everyone in a, in a, in a course and I've worked with pro fighters and stuff and, and I go, Hey, have you ever been intimidated? And, uh, you know, everyone talks that game like, no, he's going down. I'm going to kick his ass. And, uh, and I remember, um, uh, you know, saying, have any of you ever been intimidated? And they're like, yeah. I go, so here's what in the psychology of intimidation is, is when you're visualizing what your opponent can do to you instead of what you must do to your opponent. And it's this like reframe where a lot of people for a moment flip in, whether it's thinking about a back kick or think about a tackle or think about a gunfight. It's like, what if this happens? And, you know, we created this whole, what we call the, the, the neural circuitry of fear, kind of a flow chart of how your brain takes a stimulus and how it goes through all these silly little, they're not silly, uh, it goes through all these little stages, uh, uh, which are fixation points. And they slow that whole, that whole process down. How do I make a decision? How do I get you know, to action you know, as, as soon as possible? But the, um, we still need to, at the, at, the, at the end of the day, for people who are listening intently, if there's like a, like a thread through here, um, uh, the thread through here is... is you know, if you feel any type of fear about something, you've got to look more carefully at it. Don't shirk from it. Don't step away from it. Uh, and and then it, what it'll lead to is greater self-awareness, which will, which will lead you to um, greater uh, self-actualization, which will lead you to decide whether you're actually cut out to be a football player or a fighter or a lover or an artist or whatever. At the end of the day, what do we want? We just want to be fucking happy. But I believe this, and it was it was... <laughs> We had a um, a guy that came into my school back in the eighties, and he um, uh, he signed up for a three month membership, and he trained every single day. I knew him. He worked at a restaurant. He was a university kid. Worked at this restaurant that I used to frequent, and uh, found out what I did. He said, "Man, I always want to learn how to fight." I said, "Come in," and he, he signed up. And he, I thought he was going to be a prodigy. I mean, this guy who trained his ass off, it, uh, like one of those guys that you went, "Holy shit!" And so I poured a lot of energy into him, which he, like a sponge, took and he trained and he would always come in early, he'd stay late. I'm going, this guy's going to be a future instructor for sure. Definitely going to recruit him. And so his membership ends and he just stops coming. And I see him like a week goes by and I'm like, what the fuck? And I see 